<clears throat> Y'all are going to have to stop planning things like that before I'm supposed to preach. <laughs> Man. Oh. Such joy. You know, just the leaping. Just have to clap when it happens. Well, we finally made it through Lent. How are y'all feeling on this journey of listening? This is the last week, Palm Sunday, Passion, Holy Week, as we head into Easter. Feel like you've prepared yourself fully for Easter this next week coming up? I love the palms everywhere. I want to share a little bit about that journey. These are actually palmettos, which makes sense for us, palmettos. And they came from Reverend Kristen's place. Uh, she had to put on her hiking boots and her firefighter gloves and the long shears and go out and get them, you know, and bring them back uh, for us to celebrate this Sunday morning. Um, and then when they got them here, there was a wedding going on in the church, so they were trying to be real quiet, but they just looked like a dead body because they had a black tarp over them and they were dragging them through the parking lot, <laughs> dragging them into the, so that we could have them this morning. That just goes to show you what once looked dead bringing beauty for us here today. So we thank that journey of the palms to be with us here today to celebrate Palm Sunday as they say Hosanna. I don't know if you saw some of those parents with their kids coming down the aisle with the palm branches. Yeah. I just have to tell you about one of those families because they needed two extra adults because they have quadruplets. And they were the little ones that were coming through quadruplets. Oh, man. You only got four hands, and if they're four going different directions, we, we pray God an extra blessing upon them today. Oh, my. So the palms are here. We are here. It's time for Holy Week. And we celebrate. We celebrate this account of Jesus entering Jerusalem today. We want to talk a little bit about that. Uh, Jesus is coming into the city of Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is right next door. Um, and I, I went on a trip to Jerusalem one time, and I have to tell you, I went to the Mount of Olives, and I just wasn't impressed. I kind of thought Mount was bigger than that. Um, and I thought, you know, the procession into the city was like this journey, but it's really just over this little ditch. There's the Mount. There's this little ditch, and then you go into the city of Jerusalem, and the temple is right there from the east. The temple is right there, so they just came down, went over the ditch, and went into the city in this procession today. So I don't know how long it actually was. Uh, I know if our worship uh, decorators had been a part of it, Jesus would have had to appear from the other side of the mount and come down around and wind his way in. So maybe that's what it was like. But it's right next door to the city, this Mount of Olives, and... Um, the disciples putting their cloaks on the ground, the faithful people so that the donkey could walk across them, the palms, the cloaks, um, saying something important by this action. It's not something subtle. It's something important. What they're saying is this is a king. What they're saying is when Jesus rides on this donkey and they're putting down branches in front of him to ride on, they're saying that this is a king. No slipping into the city unknown, but letting them know who is there. The writer of Luke includes all these allusions to the prophets foretelling from Habakkuk and from Zechariah and from the Psalms. And uh, scholars have different opinions on this. Some say that Luke was wanting you to get it. Some say Jesus planned it that way so that you would get it. 
And I don't think it mattered to the people that were there shouting Hosanna, shouting Hosanna, saying, this is hope. I see hope right here in this procession into the city. Some of them were there surely because they'd already been healed or forgiven. Some of them there because somehow Jesus had touched their heart. And surely there were new ones coming who had heard the stories, and one of them was probably saying, you know, he's a healer. Come on, Jesus, heal me. Hosanna. He's a teacher. Maybe he can help me understand. He's a miracle worker. Maybe this time I will be amazed just enough that I will actually really, really believe. Son of David. Maybe. Maybe he'll get these Romans and Herod off our backs. This king. King of peace. Salvation, please, Jesus, save me. Save me from oppression of personal demons, physical, mental, spiritual. Save me. Save me from myself. Hosanna. This is hope. Save us from Rome, from Herod, from the high prices of the money changers. Save us, Jesus. I will shout, Hosanna. Now, some of the Pharisees, not all of them, pleaded with Jesus, control them, keep them quiet. Keep them quiet. And Jesus said, if they were quiet, all of creation would sing out. All of creation would sing out. The very stones would sing out. One of our MCC writers on the blog this last week said, even the tombstones would cry out, Hosanna. Blessed is the one. There was another procession that day, though. For those of you who've read the books of Crossan and Borg, you will know that they talk about um, Jerusalem as this place during high holy days that got so big that there was always another procession that went on as well. And this was the procession of Pilate arriving, the governor. Jesus is coming in on the west from the east on a donkey. Pilate comes in from the west on a barge on a war horse. Pilate has banners and pageantry. Pilate has military might. Squadrons of people coming in to Jerusalem on his side of this. Do you remember, some of you my age might remember, and I'm sure, and we've since then, have you seen those military parades where the general or the president is sitting there and the tanks go by, and then the soldiers go by, and all of that might is shown. So imagine Jesus coming in from the east on a donkey with palm leaves, and imagine Pilate coming in from the west on a war horse with soldiers for the high holy days of Jerusalem, the high holy days. Surely, surely, even though they are there to keep the peace, the peace as they understood it, understood it Keepers of the peace usually aren't really interested in real peace, just peace. You know, they've got a job to do, just keep them quiet. Have you been in some of those situations yourself? Might have been your own family or your own church or a court where the keepers of the peace were the most important people, where honesty 
is considered the enemy of harmony, where the work of peace is to actively suppress the truth so that we can pretend all is good. Just what kind of peace is being kept, after all? Uh, writer Catherine Huey draws the challenge clearly between the keepers of the peace and the king of peace, the one who overturns the tables of the temple. Doesn't look very peace-like to me, the one who brings a peace that challenges us. Oh, there will be conflict, conflict between these two worlds. You might remember earlier this Lent when Reverend Michael preached and Jesus had described himself as a hen, a mother hen, and Herod as a fox. So essentially what we get today is the hen is headed into the fox's den. I don't know how much you know about hens and foxes, but there's usually only one way that turns out. I can understand these Pharisees, the ones caught between the two kinds of peacekeeping and peace-bringing hoping it would all go away. But Jesus says, no, the stones will cry out. Will you, have you ever settled for an unjust peace? Or will you do as Jesus did and take passion a bit further? Sometimes we are, when we are tired, we just need the help of others to help us take the very next step. We might want to settle for one of those pleasing pieces that might not get to the root of what needs to happen. And passion matters. This week, Jesus' passion, it matters, marking the full week of love overflowing so much that Jesus poured his life out. In parades and palms, in a truth which quakes the earth, in trial, in scourging, in crucifixion. Passion, which showed no other, he could be no other than who he was. He could do no other than work for love. He could live nothing other than the truth which sets us free, pouring out his own life, emptying self for us. So here we are in this scene, and we're shouting Hosanna ourselves. What do you hope? as you shout, Hosanna, Hosanna, save me. What is your hope in this? A young woman named Deb sat in my office and wondered aloud, who would do that for me? She hadn't been raised in the church. She was new to the faith. And she's one of those folks I'd call Eeyore, you know, from Winnie the Pooh. She had one of those clouds constantly over her, had lost her tail and had to go find it again. But was cute and cuddly and part of the family. But she was one of those Eeyores. And new to the Christian faith, she was just overwhelmed with awe that someone would do that for her. That someone would pour out their own life so that she could come and find what love was about. Who would care for me in such a way, Deb said. In between tears and awe, she just experienced it, hardly able to move. And as a cradle Christian, I have to be reminded, you know, 
I didn't live without it as Deb had. My whole life, my whole story, my whole journey, Jesus had been infused in all our dinner meals and with grace. But here she was. She knew the awe of what it meant to be poured out and to receive such grace. Your Hosanna, it may be about freedom from some personal pain or from bankruptcy or loneliness or self-sufficiency or just whatever it is you're afraid of, you can fill in the blank. Your Hosanna. And I do hope you find freedom there in Jesus. But I hope for more for you. I hope for more for you and for us. I hope that we stay awake as Jesus asked the disciples to do. That we stay awake long enough to find that awe again. Long enough to let that love overflow us completely. That it drenches you fully. That the peace overwhelms you. And that the mystery warms you. That God pours it out just for you and for the world. But not only do I pray for you and hope for you that you will receive that freedom, but you will find deep within yourself that passion does matter. It's more than just about personal healing, personal justice, personal salvation. Jesus asks you to choose to care. Jesus prayed and wrestled and berated the disciples for not staying awake. And then Jesus chose to take the cup and follow through with this plan. But for us as disciples, we have to understand that we also will be pouring out our lives. We do it every day. We get to choose. What and how will we pour out our life? For whom? What passion will we dedicate ourselves to? Because Christ calls you, you are called to be about this work of love and to do it passionately. In poker terms, those of you who play cards, poker, Jesus asks you to be all in. Not one foot out the door and one foot in, but all in, fully committed. Can we be those disciples Jesus sees in us. Jesus overturned the tables of the temple. That wasn't about personal salvation. That was political. Now, I know some of us don't like that word in church. Call it a bad word, political. But I want to say to you right now that Jesus was political. He was about changing the system. He was about overturning the tables to create a system different, a system that did not have such harm in it. Jesus was working for a peace with justice. So you have to ask yourself today, how will you pour out your life? What will you choose? Have you seen the internet photo with the quote that says, live your life so that Westboro Church pickets your funeral? <laughs> live your life so that Westboro pickets your funeral. Oh my. You know, I've been in some of those lines between Westboro people and folks of faith trying to do something. Live your life in such a way. As we accompany Jesus this Passion Week, 
We have opportunities Wednesday, Thursday, Friday to experience what some of those moments were like. I invite you to keep the question before you, what will I choose? How will my passion be poured out? Jesus invites us to make that commitment, to be all in, but I ask you not to rush to answers. There are no tidy bows yet today, this Palm Sunday and Holy Week, Easter's next week. This week, we're still in the search, a search that hopes for you God's love fully surrounding you, a search that finds new salvation in your life. So bring your personal hope, and at the same time, know that it is more than about you. Bring your whole being, because Jesus is ready, has been ready, for us now to transform the world. And we're invited. We're invited. Our passion matters. Can you imagine? Can you imagine a world where we have so fully inhabited this love that we have transformed it? I went to a breakfast this week at the Anti-Defamation League, and they showed a video I'm going to share with you. Pay attention to the numbers on the screen as the video goes forward, and imagine with them. Can you imagine? Passion matters. Can you imagine that you can make a difference? Can you imagine that passionately together we can make a difference? For a world where Martin Luther King Jr. would be working today on immigration, where Matthew Shepard would be teaching anti-bullying, where Anne Frank would have written her 12th book, A World Without Hate. Can you imagine? Jesus says we're to be about the work of love and that you have a choice. I want you all in. Come. Amen.